Welcome to the Canon Law Society of America podcast, where Catholic canon lawyers share their stories, their knowledge, and their love for the law. Now, here's your host with this episode's guest canonist. Welcome to this week's podcast. I'm your host, Donna Miller. Our guest today is the Reverend Dr. Gerald Jorgensen. He is a permanent deacon from the Archdiocese of Dubuque, Iowa. Jerry joined the CLSA 25 years ago and received his JCL in 1998. He was a 2018 recipient of the Roll of Law Award. Welcome, Deacon Jerry. Thank you, Donna. It's good to be with you. Thank you for inviting me to be part of this. It's great to have you with us today. Our, our listeners will be able to see that we posted another separate podcast, which is you reading your role of law response. And I highly encourage them to, to listen to that or at least to read it because I will link the, uh, the, the transcript of it there also. Let's talk a little bit about you. You're a deacon. And I think in the role of law citation, Monsignor uh, John Foster mentioned that you were the first permanent deacon to receive the role of law response. So congratulations on that regard too. Thank you, thank you. So you must have had a life before canon law. Tell us a little bit about your, your life as a married uh, person who had a life and then studied canon law. Yes, yes. I guess I did have a life before <laughs> canon law. Uh, I uh, got married at the end of, after at graduating from college, from Morris College, which actually is here in Dubuque, Iowa. Uh, met my wife Mary while I was a student at the college, and so we married in uh, when I graduated and took a journey to Fort Collins, Colorado, for me to begin graduate school in psychology. And spent uh, the next uh, three years in Fort Collins, and then went on from there to Palo Alto, California, to do my internship in uh, clinical psychology. And then once I completed my internship, then received the doctorate in psychology at Colorado State and had to look for a job. Although initially I uh, expressed an interest to my wife that, uh, you know, I kind of enjoy law. Maybe it would be good to follow up with a law degree at this point and kind of combine that. And uh, uh, she was not interested to say the least in that. Uh, she had decided that uh, Four years plus of graduate school was enough, and we had a child, a baby at that point, and we needed to settle down. You need to be dad for a while, I guess. Right, yeah. right, get on with <laughs> life. So, so I started the job hunt and uh, ended up back here in Dubuque. Uh, decided we wanted to come back to Iowa to be close to family. So. I debated about staying in California because that was a possibility. Debated about going back to Colorado because we really enjoyed our time there, but decided we'd still be a long ways from home. So decided to come back to Iowa. Both of us are from Iowa. My wife is actually from uh, a town about 25, 30 miles west of Dubuque here. So, so I came back to Loris College as it turned out. And served on the faculty there at and on the uh, professional staff there for 20 years. Did that lead you then into working for the church or how did that connection come up? Well, uh, 
ironically, I wouldn't have known this except that uh, a few weeks ago, uh, they decided to, while we were on uh, shutdown or lockdown or whatever you want to call it for the pandemic, uh, they decided to put all new carpeting in the chancery in the offices and hallways and to paint the offices and hallways. And so I had to clean out my office, which was uh, a trip in itself. But, but anyway, in cleaning out the office, I decided I had all of these confidential files from psychology stuff through the years that, you know, after 30 years or 35 years, I don't think anybody's going to want access to those files. I'm pretty sure many of them aren't alive yet <laughs> of the parties. But anyway, in throwing away the files, I actually found some reports that I did back in 1977 for the tribunal at that time. So I started in getting involved in tribunal work as the uh, psychologist in 1977 and uh, was involved in that through all of my years at, from that time on at Loris. So that was under the 1917 code before the 83 code. So yes. were you like interested in the canon law part or did you just uh, do the work? The, they, the tribunal was actually looking for the, a psychologist because they were under the American procedural norms at that time, uh, which was a little bit different. And plus there had been some of the new, what was then new jurisprudence on uh, 1095-2, which of course 1095-2 didn't exist at that time, but grave lack of discretion of judgment was coming into, I forget the 17 canon that they were using, but that the jurisprudence had developed around that. And so they were starting to use that plus uh, they were placing baby tombs on people, and then they wanted an assessment about whether or not uh, they should they were able to lift the baby tomb. Or okay. So the priest psychologist at the college who actually hired me at the college, he ended up becoming academic dean and decided he no longer could do these things for the tribunal and said, well, why don't you talk to Jerry and have him do it? And in the meantime, he told me, Jerry, I think you just should do this for the tribunal. <laughs> so that's how I got involved with doing stuff for the tribunal and did that uh, for the rest of my time at Loris. And then after 20 years at Loris, decided that by that time I was in senior administration and was in vice president for student development. And so tired of dealing with discipline matters and neighbors that are upset and parents that are upset. And so I decided that I was going to leave Loris. Uh, I had tenure on the faculty, so I could have gone back to the faculty, but I didn't want to have anybody uh, lose their job in the psych department because I was moving back into the psych department. And so decided to look elsewhere. And I came over to see my archbishop at the time because uh, I thought by that time I'd been ordained a deacon. And I didn't know if I would find a job locally or if I would go someplace else in Iowa or someplace else out of Iowa. So I asked him if I had his permission to move that I was resigning my position at Loris, and that, but I wasn't old enough to retire and had to look for something else. And so I was 
asking his permission to move so that I could apply for faculty someplace else. And he looked at me and said, no, you don't have my permission. <laughs> kind of surprised me. <laughs> was a little shock. And he says, how about coming and working for me? And I'll send you away to study canon law. And then you can also be director of the permanent diaconate program. And I said, oh, really? <laughs> Intrigued. <laughs> yeah. I says, well, I think I probably need to talk to Mary about this. <laughs> <laughs> she nixed the civil law, but what did you say about canon law? Was she on board? Uh, well, she was on board because that, by that time, we only had one child at home who was in high school. Okay. So with that child in high school, decided that that would be okay uh, and that we could adjust our style of living because the Archbishop told me right up front, I don't know exactly what you're making at Loris, but I'm sure I can't pay you what they're paying you there. Yeah. <laughs> so, so I said, so we, the Archbishop and I had a few more talks and how this was all going to work out and we worked out a plan. And so in 93, I started here at the Archdiocese and in 94, I went off to uh, Catholic University for their summer program. Summer program, so it took what four years to finish. Took program? five summers, five, five summers. summers. Really, that was the only option for me. What married one child at home. I mean, the archbishop said I could go to Europe, uh, could go to Rome if I wanted to, or I could go up to St. Paul, uh, Ottawa, all of which sounded very interesting. <laughs> <laughs> but when it came down to what would be the practical thing, the summer program. Fortunately, I mean, I was very fortunate that uh, CUA had started a summer program. So I was in, I'm not sure it was the fourth, fifth, or sixth summer. So the program had been going for at least four summers, if not five or six summers by the time I started. In the summer of 94, the Archbishop wanted me to start in the summer of 93. And I said, no, we've got a family vacation planned. Uh, this is creating enough disruption. I, I think we'd better wait a year. So he says, well, you're gonna come and start working here anyway. So I said, yes, Archbishop, because I've already resigned my position at Lord. <laughs> yeah, there's some things you couldn't avoid at that point. So, right. so right. since 93, so 27 years, then you've been with the Archdiocese. And you also then were a member of the Canon Law Society of America. So you've served the society in various capacities also. Yes, yes. I've been on the Board of Governors as a secretary and as a consultant. And then I've been on various committees. Okay. Done lots of writing. Done writing, yes. Some of the, some of the um, probably most sought after or read advisory opinions have your name on them. So tell us then a little bit about, would you say that CLSA has played a role in your ministry, getting to know other canonists? Has that helped? Oh, it's been very influential in that in terms of getting to know other canonists and resources. Uh, so when I was at Way, the CLSA office was in Caldwell Hall, up on fourth, fourth floor, fourth or fifth floor, I forget which floor it was on. Plus that's where, the, and they handled their own publications at the time. And so, and you could, and uh, if you were a student, you could get a discount on the publications. So, I bought several publications during that time, would go up there and uh, get the publications. Uh, 
and buy them and get my discount. And okay. so I, I, I began there and then being involved, uh, I was also fortunate, although this, I didn't know it at the time that I was going to encounter such giants in the field of canon law at CUA at the time. Uh, Jim Provost was uh, department chair, though actually he wasn't when I applied. Bob Kennedy was the interim chair of the department. They, they were not a school then. They were a department in the School of Religious Studies, I think it was. But it was theology and canon law, religious studies and canon law. And Bob Kennedy was, and I forget who had just left as chair of the department, but Bob Kennedy. So, and then by the time I arrived on campus, uh, Jim was the chair. Uh, Bob Kennedy was still there. So I had Jim for several classes, Bob for a couple classes, Tom Green for a class, and then had John Beal for several classes. So it was a... Uh, a real hotbed of canonical activity after the 83 code, for sure. They still kept the cream of the crop teaching during the summer, it sounds like. Yes, I had Rock Paget there, which was another great uh, experience to have Rock and then continued to counter Rock through the years at the Canon Law Society meetings. And uh, of course, John Beale and Tom Green. So it was a real influential and they were very influential in my becoming involved. But I had been involved in professional associations from my psychology background for years. And so I see a lot of value in being a member of a professional association to, to do the networking, to make the contacts, to have the resources. So as a person who has a family, what advice would you give to men or women today, especially lay people who are thinking of studying canon law? You did, as you said, part-time on the summers. Is that something you would recommend or would you, in looking back, say do it all at once if you can? Well, if you don't have any kids and your spouse can go with you, that's a different story. But if you have children at home, I would not recommend taking three years <laughs> and going. And I mean, I did the summer program, and but I came back twice each summer. I would come back in middle of June. And then at that time, and they probably still do in the summer program, uh, CUA would, uh, summer school, or at least canon law part of summer school, because we were on a different schedule entirely, I think, than the rest of CUA summer school, would take uh, the week around the 4th of July off in between the two semesters that we covered each summer. So I would come home at that. Actually, I came home three times. So I'd come home in the middle of June, that week over the 4th, and then come home in the middle of July. And my diocese was uh, the Archdiocese was very helpful because uh, uh, they paid for two of those trips. They uh, lined up for, for something for me to do on the Saturday. So I paid for my own way back on the 4th of July week. But on the other two times, I would run out of class as soon as it ended on Friday afternoon, catch a 3 o'clock flight out of D.C. back to Dubuque, and then take a either early morning flight Monday or late flight Sunday back to Dubuque. And so, and then I would do something on Saturday that judicial vicar could justify paying my trip back to Dubuque. Oh, that's helpful. So you would leave DC, people who have never lived there or been in that area during the 4th of July don't know that that's one of the hottest times of the year. Oh, yes, July is, is very hot there. So everybody leaves town in July and August in DC, except those of us that were in summer school. <laughs> <laughs> there you go. Now, I wanna go back 
two years ago, it's been it'll be two years in, in October that you were selected as the role of law recipient. You had mentioned that at that time, things were going on that you felt pressed to address when you were writing your role of law response. Tell us a little bit about what led up to your thinking as you just went into writing your response. So I'd been thinking about it since uh, John contacted me in January and once I got through the shock and then it occurred to me that, oh, that's right, this recipient has to give some kind of response to this. There's an expectation, although uh, later on when John contacted me, he was very clear that, Jerry, it's a short response. It's a brief response. <laughs> Don't go on and on. Yes, John, I get the message. <laughs> So I've been thinking, and then we had the grand jury report from Pennsylvania. The whole Theodore McCarrick thing really blew up at that time, and there were more cases coming out of bishops who had transferred people, even in, and I'm not talking about in the 40s and 50s, but in recent times. And part of that was the whole Pennsylvania report, but then you had some other attorney generals that decided they wanted to jump on the bandwagon as well and some other things going on. But then with the McCarrick issue and what all happened with him and his rise to the heights of the church hierarchy and how did that happen, there was just a lot of things going on then in April and May. So by the time I, got, I said, I've got to get serious about this, I thought the climate was such that I, I couldn't ignore it. And especially since 2002, I've spent a lot of my time in penal work, which of course wasn't the thought at all when I went away to take classes at CUA. I had Tom Green's course, which actually the summer, either the summer before, or maybe it was when the summer program started, that that was the first time that the penal course became a required course. And then when th things happened in 2002, and there was a need for advocates, there was a need for judges, there was a need for promoter of justice who knew something about penal law, I got involved in that. And there was a, uh, actually a group of us at CLSA that, uh, in terms of Paul Golden, uh, Rick Bass, a fond memory now, and uh, Dan Smolonic, Pat Lagos, and Fred Easton, and we became involved. And actually, we started, a group of us started meeting in Chicago. Dan and Pat organized that. And we started meeting oh, about every two months, every three months. And by that time, Bill Westman had moved back and was working in the canonical affairs office in Chicago and uh, joined us for some of those initial meetings. So, And then my whole life in advocacy took off from that standpoint. So all I of those things kind of fit into it. That came together. And I think... Um, even in his citation, Monsignor John Foster mentioned the, what the Board of Governors looks for when they are selecting that year's Rule of Law recipient. And I think you hit very squarely on the head two of those, which was participation in the development of law and the facilitation of dialogue and the interchange of ideas within society. It's hard for sometimes people to think, how do you influence law? Or how do you, you know, facilitate dialogue? And just what you did that night and bringing that to the attention of people in the midst of a banquet. I know that we've heard that book six is imminent now, it's coming out. Do you think that they will dare address some of those issues of how the penal law will address? Um, uh, I'll be very interested. I've, I've heard reviews and I'm not sure there are gonna be a lot of changes in book six. There will be some changes it sounds like in, in book six. I've not seen any of the drafts. I've just heard people who have seen them talk about some of the things. Uh, and 
of course, after that talk, which I had no influence on it, I'm sure about that, we, but we had Vos Estes, uh, Lux Mundi, come out, which addresses some of the bishop's accountability issues. Still have some other issues to address, in, in my humble opinion, anyway. But we just turn slowly. Yes, yes. <laughs> they don't call Rome the eternal city for nothing, is what I tell <laughs> the students. Good observation. <laughs> so do you have any other final words for the members of the Canon Law Society? Um, I think it's just very important to become involved in the society. Uh, I think membership is great and because it opens you up to some resources and some publications, but I think the more you can participate in some of the other activities of the society, whether it's meetings, uh, whether it's committee work, uh, can be very helpful in terms of, uh, for me, it was making the contacts to talk about some of these issues, and especially as they became more involved in some of the penal work where I didn't feel as comfortable as I did in some of the psychological uh, issues. Uh, but it was just great to have that, and then uh, really helping me get my feet on the ground and get a sense of law and a concern for the person. I think that's the other thing, that it's, it's not just the law, but it's also a concern for the person. We've got to bring the church into the whole aspect, too, and what that Absolutely. means to be church. And so uh, I think that's very important. And some of the other ones uh, have really helped me in terms of that with Paul Golden, Frank Morrissey, Fred Easton have all been very helpful. Well, Deacon Jerry, we thank you so much for being with us today. We uh, appreciate all that you've done for the society, all that you continue to do. And we will look forward to seeing you hopefully sometime in the future when we can all get back together. And we wish you all the best with your family. And thank you and God bless. Thank you, Donna. It's great to be with you. Thank you for inviting me. It was a great privilege. Have Thanks. A great Have day. a good day. Bye. Bye.